You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, well, we might as well get started as uh, other folks trickle in. Uh, it's, uh, we want to take advantage of all the time that we have with uh, Bishop and, and Jackie, and I do want to acknowledge Jackie Bugisha, who's there. Uh, and you may also know that um, bishops' wives in Rwanda and Africa in general are very different from bishops' wives in the United States. Um, therein lies the real power. So, for instance, uh, Jackie is the head of the Mothers' Union, which is uh, a rather large and faithful ministry uh, within the life of the diocese. Uh, most women are involved in that, and they have various and sundry projects going on. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, we don't wish for this, but when the bishop retires or resigns, she gets a vote for who the next bishop is, doesn't she, as the head of the Mothers' Union? Yes, she gets and you don't. Do you get a vote? No, you don't get a vote, but she does. So, well, there you go. She gets the last word uh, on that. So, Jackie, you're most welcome. And you have had a whirlwind trip. You flew into Kansas City, up to Minneapolis, over to Chicago, Pittsburgh, Orlando, Mobile, and then here. And Jackie's mom is with the three girls. Is that on? You can talk into it. Yes. Yes, okay. Uh, and Jackie's mother is home with the three girls, and not only are you anxious to get home, she's probably anxious for you to get home. Yes. How long have you been gone? How long has this trip well, lasted? It's, uh, like, must be like 28 days now. 28 days. So nearly a month, and you head out next Tuesday. Yes. So, so they've had a whirlwind trip, but Jackie, it's really lovely. This tr- I hope that this leg for you has been restful. Um, because coming back to Birmingham, I hope, is like coming back home for you, and you've been able to relax and, and not feel uh, terrible pressure. But before we go any farther, let's have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you make us brothers and sisters uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that um, this time this morning would be one that uh, holds up the work that you have done for us and the work that you continue to do uh, in your church uh, in this world. Lord, we pray for Shira Diocese, for the ministry of Bishop Sam and Jackie, and Lord, for the ministry of the Advent and our partnership for the gospel together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Bishop, uh, we're very glad to have you here. Uh, And you, uh, your family left Rwanda uh, during the, um, when there was an uprising and the, the Belgians handed over power in the 1950s. Yes. And you you went to Kampala and tell us uh, what uh, tell us about your dad and what he did in Kampala for work. Well, my dad left Rwanda in 19, I think 1959 as a refugee, and he went to Uganda. He was a teenager, so he worked in farm people's farms, and and finally he met somebody who asked him what he wanted to be and he said I would like to work for a church and he told him my church in the village cannot pay you but I have a friend who is the dean of a cathedral in Kampala Kampala is the capital city of Uganda so he said he's coming here this weekend maybe you talk to him so when the dean came he talked to my dad And he said, I have always wanted to work in a church. And he said, I'm actually looking for somebody to work 
in the cathedral. Can we go together? It took him 19, uh, I think 1960. And from 1960 to 2013, he was working at the cathedral all that time. That was his time of retirement. And he was, he was the administrator for the cathedral? Yes. Uh, much like our Brian Helm. Exactly. For 53 years? Is, that, is the math right on that? Yes. 53 years. Well, we counted 51. I don't know how. He took a lot of vacation. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, so he, uh, so he, uh, he worked for over 50 years at the cathedral. And one of the interesting things, you, your family was there as refugees from Rwanda, but obviously were, were very, made Uganda your home. Your father had a long-time yes. job. Your family was there. Uh, but being at the cathedral in Kampala, even though you were a little boy, your family grew up um, in and around uh, the pressures that were laid on the church by Idi Amin yes. in the 1970s, so much so that the cathedral your father served was the cathedral for Janani Lawum. Yes, yes. And, um, and of course, I think it was 1977 that uh, Idi Amin had Janani Lawum killed for his faith. We've talked about him in the past. Tell us a little bit about that story and Janani Lawum. Yeah, Janani Lawum was a man who spoke openly. He, he was a leader who really spoke for the people. So he always spoke against Idi Amin for the things that he was doing which were not right. I remember, this is what my dad told me, they had a big convention in the stadium Janan Ruum preached about leadership, about justice, about truth, uh, mentioned the Ten Commandments, and mentioned how Jesus was the Lord, and there is no other Lord, there is no other God. And he also mentioned that all other people who have been called gods have died, but only one, Jesus Christ, resurrected. And he also said, even Muhammad died, and he never resurrected. And some people think that ticked off. Idi Amin said, you talk about Muhammad, I'm a Muslim, you've gone too far. Mm. So they think that made him so angry, and he felt attacked. And some time later on, he called the archbishop and told him he, ha he needed to stop speaking. And the archbishop said, I cannot stop. He was given an opportunity to go to refuge. He said, I'll never go to refuge. So they killed him. Mm. And they, um, they, they told Mary Lewum, his widow, that he died in a car crash. And yet when they saw the body, it was filled with bullet holes. Well, I think they had some... They, they, the leaders who worked with Amin, they knew the international politics. They knew the public relations. There's no way they could say the president killed him. So they had to make a story. Mm. I don't think Amin cared about the story. Mm. He didn't care about that, but the leadership that was with him tried to cover this up. Mm. But it was too late. Everybody knew. So how many children did Janani and Mary Lewum have? Well, I don't know exactly, but the ones I know about, about six. So about six children. Uh, you became friends later on with their youngest son, Amos. Yes. And, uh, and Mary returned to uh, the village where she was from, which is up by the Ugandan border with South Sudan. Yes. 
and she just died this year. Yeah. How old was she? Do you remember? I'm not sure, but she was in her 90s. She was in her 90s. And, um, and when she died, it was a, it was a big deal. Uh, a lot of people uh, remembered her. And of course, um, Uganda, uh, you have the Ugandan martyrs back in the 1800s, uh, the young men uh, who refused to give, it, give in to the king's demands once again. Yes. Uh, and uh, they were killed for their stance uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, Chiwani Lawum's death in the 1970s. That those things seem as intimidating as they are, they really seem to make the church of Uganda stronger. I think when, when a servant of God dies for the truth, he doesn't just die. I think he lives on into so many others. The courage, the decision that he's taken makes many people think twice, makes many people, I think, stand up and say, I think something amazing, something powerful has been here. When Luwum died, I think many bishops took the courage to say, we need to do something. Actually, there's a long letter they wrote to, to Idi Amin. I think I have a copy, I'll send it to you. And they were saying, you cannot do this. We stand together and we are against such acts of murder and attacking the men of God. Before that, nobody had said anything. But until he died, they all spoke. I don't know where they got the courage, but I think when a man of God or a woman of God stands up for the truth, they light up a light that drives away the darkness. And I think that is what happened with the Uganda matters. That's what happened with Luwum. And I think that's what is going to happen with us as Christians when we stand in the darkness and light mm. through the gospel of Christ. Then others can speak because we have spoken. That was uh, Festo Kavindri said that, uh, who is a bishop in Uganda. Uh, if you don't know that name, uh, Festo, uh, you should look that up. He was, a, he was a great leader in the church and he said that that was that that was it and he said that there would be times and discouragement in the church of Uganda that all of a sudden one of the bishops would begin to get up and tell the story of Janani the womb and and it would it would they could feel the spirit moving and they would they would mount up the courage to to do what needed to be done uh, in in the life of the church do you think you know in those incidents with Ugandan martyrs in the 18 late 1800s and then uh, Jawani Lawum in in the late 1970s, as awful as the Idi Amin regime was, those events sort of happened in isolation. You could say that happened then. But were there any martyrs and heroes that came out of the genocide in Rwanda? There were so many people killed. It it it, it doesn't have the same because it happened so much. It doesn't have the same sense of isolation and recognizability that, that the Lawum or the Ugandan martyrs have? I think the, the, the history after the genocide has shown that there are so many people who stood and saved so many people. The government has recognized them. They've been given medals. And they did it just because they felt life 
was valuable and they loved the people even though they didn't know them. We've had so many. We've also had an American who was in Rwanda and he he's a pastor, he's a Baptist pastor and he said, I'm not leaving. Everybody was leaving. Everybody was taking their dog, their cat. And he said, well, my wife wants to go, but I will not leave. So for me, that is, that is very powerful. What happened to him? Well, he, he didn't die. He stayed and he saw so much and he spoke against it. But he was a pastor and he didn't have a lot of influence. And he's not a loud guy who's tried to publish himself. But I think he's a hero to yes. me. People who can stand for others and accept to be there, to stay with others, those are the heroes. And the unfortunate story is that the man who worked in a hotel and he served what was in the hotel managed to make a story and he has been recognized over here. The man who worked this on... This is Hotel Rwanda. Hotel Rwanda. The real heroes are not recognized and the guy who served in a hotel connects with Hollywood and he becomes the hero. I think that's life. The, yeah. the guys who seem to do nothing rise and the guys who do it may never be seen. Well, I think their reward is in heaven. I think Jesus had something Amen. to say about that. Amen. So the people who get their recognition here on earth, there's your reward. That, that's all you get. Um, so there is something to be said about... Uh, it, it turns out that, that it means much more if God knows than if other people know. Yes. And you, uh, you returned uh, to Rwanda in 1994. Uh, you, you followed the army in. Yes. And, um, and uh, not to make light of it, but when you were there, there was no place to stay. So they, you stayed with the army and you just took off your clothes and put on a uniform. Well, I, when I went to Rwanda, I thought I'd meet my brother who had been in the army. He was four years older than me, but I didn't find him. I never met him, but I met some people who knew him. And I lived with soldiers immediately after the genocide. Uh, I just walked into Rwanda really with faith, very few clothes with me. But after the war, all the soldiers didn't have any other clothes, so all they had was the uniform they had. So they all shared my clothes I had, and, and I didn't see them again because they keep moving. And I didn't have an option but to put on their clothes also because I couldn't walk around with nothing. <laughs> so whenever I washed my other shirt and my other trouser, then I put on the uniform. And then when I moved around, people thought I was in the army. But later on, I managed to get a job, and I bought new clothes, and I went back to being me. So that was another type of life. That was hard, and living with these soldiers, and they, most of them thought I had been the army, but I really was not in the army. Oh. Tell us, you know, it was such a dark time in Rwanda, and, and a lot of people were asking the question, where was God and where is God right now? And, and yet God in his mercy has, has, um, has brought about renewal in, uh, in his church in Rwanda. And so what do you think accounts for people um, 
certainly some people did, but a lot of people didn't turn their back on God, but struggled through it and came back on the other side. How did you feel about that when you came back? I think when you go through the hardest time and, and you feel you have nothing left, I think you meet God. If you don't meet God, then the devil takes you. But through that tough time, you are likely to meet God. I also went through a hard time. I went through a crisis with my Christianity, and I think the little Christianity I had melted away, and I had to start all over again because I was asking God, do you really care? Are you there? When they talk about your will, do you have a will? Can you stop anything? Do you have any power? Do you know us? Do you know my parents were here? Do you know they went to refuge? And I'm now back. My brother is dead. Everybody is dead. I mean, I just felt like I wanted to go to his office and say, what do you do here? Mm. And I think through that crisis, I asked many questions. I wanted to talk to pastors. I went to people who I thought knew God. And I would say, tell me about God. Do you know him? Have you seen him? What is this personal relationship they talk about? I think it's through that crisis that people invited me to the seminary. They thought I was very religious, but I really think I had become one of the people who don't believe God exists. Mm. And if he exists, he doesn't care. And we don't need him. But through that crisis, the Lord brought me in. And I met people who knew God, people who loved me. And I went to seminary. I don't think I brought much out of seminary, but to know that God is God. I don't have the right to ask him, but I have all the responsibility to worship him. Because he is the Almighty. Mm. And when we worship him and we believe him, then we have life. Then we can understand then life makes sense. So for me, I think it's not me alone. I think it's many Rwandese. They've gone through this crisis and they've met somebody who has talked to them, and that's the Lord, and they've come up again. Mm. Well, I think if people never found God in Rwanda, there will be so many suicides, there will be so many crazy people. But right now, the problem we have, every house is becoming a church. The government has put a condition, no more churches. Everybody has become a pastor. The government says you need to be a pastor if you've gone to train and you have been trained and you know what you're talking about. So I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but something is happening. With the people who once could not believe God is there and now they believe is there and it's important that we don't go beyond where we should go. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, well, good luck to the government containing all that. Um, uh, but it, it, it has caused, you bring up the law, that has caused some hardship on you. On the, the, the positive side is the Anglican Theological College is filled to capacity yes. because all of these pastors need to receive the academic credential. Exactly. But the hard thing is that after the law was passed, how many churches were condemned, uh, how many buildings were condemned in your, your diocese? In my diocese, 103 churches were closed because 
the standards were not fit according to the new policy that was given. The bathrooms must be minimum four bathrooms. Uh, I mean, that sounds normal, but not in the village. They had like one. So if you, you have a line over there and everybody goes in and you may miss a service because you went to the bathroom. Uh, but uh, although it has become a problem, I think it has become a solution for the next many years to come. Because there are cults that came from Nigeria, there are different religions that had come, there's a religion that came from here in the United States. It came to run at register and they said they are devil worshippers. And they said they want to register and start a church. And the government said no. And they said that is segregation, that is no freedom of worship. They said we know where we have been and we don't want to go in that line. So it is a blessing in disguise, but I think that's how life is. Many things start off badly and finally they become good. Right now we've worked hard to open many churches. We have 48 churches to go. Some of them didn't really have serious needs, but some churches have serious needs. Like they are too old, they're too small, the roof is too old, they don't have proper bathrooms. So to build so many churches, it calls for a lot of money. So some of our churches, there are some churches that may never open again until after a certain period that we may be able to open. So it has been good, but it has also been painful. But it's, you've, 55 churches have been reopened. Yes. That's remarkable. And how many, how many congregations, not parishes, but congregations are in your diocese? We have 346 congregations. 346 congregations. And uh, just to give you, uh, uh, the, the Diocese of Alabama has, I think it's just 75 uh, congregations uh, in the diocese, and you're one bishop, and you have 300. I missed it already. What? 346. 346 congregations, and you're one bishop, and it works. Yeah, I don't have to visit them all. <laughs> we have people we call archdeacons. Each archdeacon has like 15 or 20 or 30 churches, depending on the area they are. So they are more like the bishop of that area but they report to me and I come to do confirmations there I've never done confirmation below 300 people all the confirmations are normally 300 280 something like that it's a diocese that is in four districts it's a diocese which is in the most fertile place in the country anybody can plant tomato I mean can plant potatoes in three months and have them ready because it's a volcanic area. Nobody leaves that area. People just come to the area because you can't leave a fertile place to go anywhere else. And Musanzi is the, now the second largest city in Rwanda where you are. Exactly. It's going to be the second largest. So the conditions for the churches are even going to be harder. And um, when I was over there, you told me that, and apart from agriculture, Volkswagen is going to open up a car plant. Yes, Volkswagen has uh, been given a very big area where we had just built a church. 
and they've told us you have to remove that church. The good news is that they pay you for everything that you did and you managed to carry off everything that was on the church. So it is sad, but it is also a joy that we will be able to perhaps get two churches out of that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So uh, just to recap, in Rwanda, some Americans came over to Rwanda that were uh, with uh, a satanic cult and said, we worship the devil and we want to open up a church here and register as a nonprofit. And the government said, no, we already dealt with you in, in the genocide. We know what the devil is all about and we're not interested in that. Um, so you don't have um, the same kind of Bill of Rights that we do here in the United States. Uh, but... Um, so this, this has been both a blessing and a curse, uh, this, this new legislation concerning um, the, um, the church buildings and, and the pastor's training. I think the, the reason this registration came so fast is because it's not only the churches that we are growing, it's also the Muslim groups that had entered into the country. Young Muslim groups had come in and they separated themselves from the original conservative, I would say, Muslims. And that showed us that there could be a group like Al-Shabaab that was coming into the country right. through religion. Al-Shabaab being a militant Islamic. Yeah, being a militant Islamic group that has done a lot of havoc in Kenya and in Somalia. So I think the government had no time to say, okay, go to seminary, work on this they made it like a big glow and but i know they may give us time to to send more people to school and some more time of grace but there was this need that they had to act immediately and do you do you is this the greatest challenge that the diocese is facing in ministry or was there something deeper that is that is harder to put your finger on what's the greatest challenge you face in ministry in shira diocese right now the greatest challenge is uh, working on these churches so that people can come to be able to worship because when people cannot be together to worship then they cannot support their parish they cannot support their pastor uh, that means as a diocese the burden of the pastors comes back to us we are trying to bring the country to another level, so we are trying to make sure we pay social security, medical insurance, and have a consistent salary for the pastor. So that has completely disorganized our finances. Because if people can't meet, then they can't give offertories, then the pastor can't find them where they are properly, and that disorganizes the whole financial payroll system and do you do you run into when it comes to the people in rwanda being a country that has experienced a spiritual renewal because the the center of the east african revival was in rwanda and yes. gahini and and god used that powerfully uh and yet um the genocide still happened and is there a sense in rwanda that people will say, oh, I'm a Christian, but really don't know what that means. It just means that they're not Muslim, or, or that, but they never really come to church. They, and, and how do you minister to those people who, who are church members, but, but may not be practicing Christians? 
well, mentioned that to me in the past. I think we, we've tried our best to preach from the pulpit, but also into the community by doing things for people. We have got savings groups. We've got community Bible study in small groups. We've got projects that support people from poverty. All these are for changing people's lives, but also raising them from poverty to a better life. So we don't believe that the church is just on Sunday. The church is everywhere the people are, and ministry is the opportunity that we provide for them to know us and to know the word. And the way we bear fruit is by being a blessing to them so they can also be a blessing to others. We still have challenges of people who are into traditional religions, people who think Christianity is being born in a Christian family, full stop. But I think Christianity is, uh, is that encounter with the truth that is personal, that changes you in a way that I cannot explain. And that is not something that the church does. It's something that the Holy Spirit does mm. through the fellowship of the Christians. Mm. So for us, we really cannot examine to say, you don't have the Spirit. Or right. You're, you're right. a terrible guy. But we do our part, and the Lord does the rest. Amen. I mean, you really have to go over there to to understand it. And uh, so typically the Advent does take a trip once a year over to Shira Diocese, which in addition to being in fellowship and enjoying that, it is a really, really beautiful place. You, um, you're the Bishop of the Gorillas. Yes. Actually, when I go back, we have a naming ceremony. Right, so the bishop is asked to go up. Uh, some of y'all remember the movie and book Gorillas in the Mist with Diane Fossey. That takes place in Bishop's Diocese. And so the uh, mountain gorillas are there. And when new baby gorillas are born, the bishop takes part in a naming service. And uh, are you, what are you going to... Um, I think you should... I'm seeing her out of the corner of my eye. I think you should just name one of them Mary Kay Wilson because she, does, she should have a, a gorilla named after her. I will ask. Okay. <laughs> so you don't get to pick the names? No. Well, uh, the names are mainly names of, uh, of values or activities that are done, like peace, like responsibility. I mean, things that are, that are encouraging virtues. the community. Yeah. Exactly. So we, we bring all the community together because that community really takes care of the gorillas. They come down. And they make sure they go back up. But again, many people used to steal the gorillas and sell them off. So for the community to be able to live close to those animals and protect them, the money that comes from the visiting the gorillas has an impact it does with education, medical care, and all the other support for the community. Mm -hmm. So they come in to make sure that they recognize the newborn gorillas but also to say we are protecting these animals not just for us but for the world because these are not animals that you can find anywhere. I think there are very few now. That's a special place where everybody comes to see them. Yeah, I just, I just think when I hear American bishops and they will say to me personally that they feel so overwhelmed by the responsibility of their ministry and I, I can't help but inwardly smile and chuckle and say you should go to Rwanda uh, because I can't imagine I mean, just how much 
and the, the wide scope of ministry and responsibility is, is just dumbfounding to me. Uh, but we've got time for some questions if anyone would like to ask Bishop Mugisha, uh, which actually means blessing. Mugisha means blessing. Uh, so if you have any questions for Bishop Blessing, uh, please, please ask them. See, they already know you. They don't have any questions. They already know all about you. I will say that the last time that we went over there, uh, my, my oldest daughter, Lily, is her mother's daughter. And, uh, and so helped uh, to start a business called Shira Skirts, which goes to the benefit of the women in the diocese. And um, Lauren, are you wearing uh, Elizabeth Wilson? Why don't y'all stand up? Yes. This is a very Frank Limehouse moment. Why don't y'all stand up? Oh, lovely. Yes, very nice. And so uh, the fabric is given to the ladies in the Mother's Union and the measurements, and then the skirts are shipped over here. And uh, I think, to, have y'all gotten someone to do fittings and all that over here, or is it just as is at this point? I'm sorry? Ah... Uh, Tomorrow night at my house. <laughs> what time? That's so I know I can get out. What time? Five? At 5 p.m. at my house on Woodley Road, uh, there will be a bit of a trunk show. And if you're interested in hearing about the ministry and what the money will do and all of that, uh, please do uh, come, uh, ladies. And uh, the bishop and I will have a ministry elsewhere. Don. Hmm. How does discipleship work in your congregations, Bishop? Uh, as, as Anglicans or Episcopalians, I'd say we have uh, a lectionary, but sometimes we go off the lectionary depending on the season we are going through, and we agree on the texts we are going to be using. Uh, but we mainly use the community Bible study material, which is originally from here. We have managed to uh, put all that material into our language. We've just been going through the book of Daniel and we share that in all the parishes. And then we have small groups. These small groups, they go through a text and they share. We have prepared leaders who do that. And then they meet sometime once a week or once a month as the area in the parish to discuss what they studied and how it impacted them and then they move on. That has been a blessing. We don't only do that in the small groups. We have so many choirs. Choirs are requested to have their own Bible study. If you miss the small group, you find your Bible study in the choir where you are. We have what we call serving groups Saving groups, because most of our people are not very rich, they put together little money, and then like 10 people put together $10 every month, and then later, like in three months, they give all the money to one. And then they do that all through the year. That brings them together, but part of what they do before they talk about the money, they do, they read the Bible through, the community Bible study. And then the Mother's Union also does the same when they meet. So we've made sure that wherever you meet, whatever you do, you have part of the Bible study, share a message, 
and then go in for something else. Because we didn't want these groups to become more like business, money-minded, and forget why they are together and who organized their coming together. So that is our biggest way of uh, discipleship. The other way has been reaching for the young people through sports. When the Advent team came, we had a big championship. Each young person had to bring another young person who does not go to church. If they want to be on the team, they bring somebody from somewhere else. And that has enabled us to bring in so many young people who we hope we are going to do ministry with and then bring them into church. Because even at halftime, Bishop, I don't mean to interrupt, but yes. um, I'm sorry for interrupting, I should say. I do mean to do it. Um, at halftime, for every soccer match in this rather extensive league that has been created, every halftime there is a sermon. Yes. An evangelistic sermon. Yes. And our sermons are not like big theology sermons. It's calling them to accept Christ as a personal savior and to tell them that the life that you live after you've known Christ is a life of bearing fruit, is a life that is different from the one you are in. We are in an area where there's a lot of uh, alcohol that comes from Congo and from, from Uganda. It's an area that has a lot of marijuana that comes in for the youth. So the only opportunity to reach these young people is through sport. We mainly got young boys, but the Mother's Union is reaching into the schools, is reaching everywhere they can find young people to talk to them and to tell them that there is a better life. If you follow what the Lord has said, you can be a better parent, you can live a more blessed life. Lauren. How many people participate in the, these community Bible study small groups? Community Bible study has over 6,000 active people. The whole diocese has over 105,000 members. When I say members, I just mean the name of the head of the family. <laughs> because if we said the man and the wife and the kids, I mean the numbers would go for on and on. That, so we that's just, very biblical. It says that, you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, that there were 5,000 men, not including women. So we normally say the Pearson family, oh, because we cannot mention everybody. Mm. Yes, Jacob. Yeah, what, is, what does it look like? How does the Anglican Church in Rwanda relate to the other Christian denominations in Rwanda? We have... Uh, I think the relationship is good because even through the new law, uh, they asked the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, the head of the Muslims to meet and help the government to know who is right and who should be registered. We have an, uh, a certain umbrella we meet through called uh, Rwanda Interfaith Commission that brings together all religious leaders who believe in Christ. So through that, we've come to know pastors, we've come to know different people. Recently, we had a big conference with uh, Rick Wallen. He brought together all pastors who believe that Christ is Lord with businessmen and politicians. And we all came together, we prayed together, 
the theme and the point was we cannot raise a nation unless we unite. Mm -hmm. So the politicians and the businessmen and the re religious people, we all have one goal, to be a blessing to these people and to bring what the Lord has given to us for the community. Well, Bishop, would you, uh, I'm sorry, one last question. Yes, please. Yeah, what has reconciliation looked like in Rwanda since 1994? Reconciliation, personally, I believe it's something that the Lord does through us. We as pastors and people in ministry can speak and can promote, but only God can go into the heart and heal the wound of somebody who has lost all their family and the person who killed them is seated right next to you in church and lives next to you in the community. So much has been done, but only God can finish what is being done. But so far, the relationship is good. Some people have been released out of prison. They have repented. They have come to dig in the farms of these people who survived. There is a sign that the Lord is doing something. There is one prisoner who was released and he said, I don't deserve to leave. I don't deserve to be released because what I did, I have not forgiven myself. Mm. So when somebody says that, you realize that there is two people, somebody who did the sin and somebody who has come out of prison. And only by God's healing through the gospel can these two people meet mm. and reconcile themselves before they reconcile with their neighbor. Mm. I think the Lord is doing great and we'll continue to do what we can for reconciliation. Well, Bishop, the bells are calling uh, folks to the 11 o'clock service, so let's have a word of prayer. Thank you. Oh, Lord, uh, you're so good to us. And Lord, we live in a very broken and sinful world. Uh, that grieves our hearts, and Lord, um, how people just like us are often the perpetrators of, of that which grieves us. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would use us as agents of reconciliation wherever we happen to be, and Lord, that we would understand that there is no name given uh, under heaven uh, on earth uh, by which uh, we might be healed and saved other than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we would run to him and put our trust in him. Uh, Lord, uh, use Shiradiasis, uh, use the Advent uh, to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Lord, we thank you for the uh, fellowship that we have with Bishop Sam and Jackie and we pray that that relationship would continue to go from strength to strength for the good of your people but above all for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.